and I'm going to blow your house down. And he kicked up this huge wind, and the little pig that was in that house of straw filled with anxiety because his whole house came tumbling down. And he fleed. He fleed to his second brother, the second little pig. And the wolf followed and said, I'm going to huff and I'm going to puff. I'm going to blow your house down. And he kicks up a strong wind. And those two little pigs found themselves in a situation where their house was crumbling to pieces. They were frantic, filled with anxiety, running for their lives. And then they got to their, their, their last brother, the third brother, the third little pig. The, the wolf says, I'm going to huff and puff and I'm going to blow your house down. And he kicked up winds, and the three little pigs were content inside the house made of brick. That's, that's a wonderful example. I mean, you could use that for an analogy for a lot of things, but I think it's a wonderful example for the Christian life. Because we all know that the shepherd, Jesus, told his disciples and us that I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. That when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we weren't immediately brought up to him in heaven. No, we were to stay here as holy ones, as saints set apart for his purpose and his glory in a fallen and broken world, in a world that is filled with big, bad wolves, kicking up all kinds of storms and dusts. And, and the question becomes, listen, as I'm a, as I'm a sheep amongst all of these wolves, and I, and I can't make heads or tails of anything, it just looks so bad. I mean, have you seen the news lately? <laughs> I mean, my goodness... What I value as a Christian, the world mocks. And even if me and the world can come to an understanding that this is bad, their solution to it is so corrupt and evil, it's unbelievable. And don't forget about our adversary, who roams around this earth, seeking to destroy and to devour, who hates you. Absolutely hates you and hates your family. So we, we have to understand this as we're living life. We are going to seek refuge. It's just natural. We're going to become overwhelmed with these things and seek to be comforted and to be preserved somehow. The question, though, is are we seeking our refuge and our preservation in, in sticks? In straw or in brick? And this is what David tells us and reminds us in this psalm. And he actually starts off by saying, a, a, a mictum of David. Uh, this is a very difficult word, but most scholars agree that the word means golden. There's only six psalms that David earmarked as mictum or golden. This is probably six of the psalms that he returned to constantly. 
constantly preached to himself, constantly meditated on, constantly renewed himself in. And, and so as we gather this morning, let's become renewed and, 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 and refreshed and reminded and where our safe haven really is. Amen? And he makes his proclamation in the first verse. He says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. He, he's a king with wealth and armies at his command. And land and all of this stuff that comes with being a king. And he doesn't take refuge in any of that. He doesn't take refuge in his, in his finances and his worldly power and his stature here on earth. He takes refuge in God. In God, because, because the things that I am, if, if, listen, if I'm, taking, if I'm taking refuge in my own abilities and my own, my own bank account and my own uh, talents, my own knowledge... If I'm taking refuge in anything of this world, I am taking refuge in stick and straw. Sticks and straw. You say, well, I don't take refuge in me, but, but listen, if I take refuge, if I think that the solution to the things that are going on in the news and the world all around us in this country has to do with the left aisle or the right aisle, I'm taking refuge in the wrong thing. It isn't that politics aren't important and don't play it. But man, my refuge cannot be in those things. I want a wonderful me. I came into a wonderful me. And this is, man, I'm preaching to myself because I get, man, it is easy to put myself in those things, in those places. I read this wonderful me that said, listen, it's not a political issue, it's a heart issue. Man is wicked. Left, right, man is wicked. Sticks and straw. So he says, no, I don't, I don't take refuge. Preserve me, God, for in you I take refuge. Verse 2 says, and I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. There is no good apart from God. Anything good that we can experience, that we can know, that we have, that we can enjoy, is of God. That is true of the wicked. You understand that evil is chomping at the bit. We don't experience evil the way... Listen, I grew up near Niagara Falls, and it's incredible. You step up in Niagara Falls, that power rushing over there, it's... it's, it's I mean, I grew up there, and I'd still go there, and I'm like, no, this is cool. That's a lot of power rushing there. Do you know that they got that thing turned down to like 70%? That's not even 100%. I've never seen Niagara Falls. Most people have never seen Niagara Falls all the way on. Listen, we think this is evil? We've got to understand that God is pushing back evil. He is pushing back evil. There will be nothing but evil. Anything good, anything good that we can know inexperience is because of one source and one source alone. God. That's it. So, so what he's saying in these first two verses, a, a summarization of the first two verses is this. Everything is strong sticks. God is the only thing that is brick. 
Everything else is sinking sand. God is the only one that I can truly have to come to be able to watch over me and provide protection. But it's easy to wander, guys. It, it really is. It's easy to wander. As I say, I preach this sermon to myself above first and foremost. It's so easy to wander. Listen, it's easier. It's it's the minority peg that had brick, right? The other two had stick and, and, and straw because it's easier to go stick and straw. It's much easier. That's why they did it. We become lazy and consumer-driven and just ripped up into... All the stick and straw. There's tons of stick and straw everywhere being offered. Constantly. False promises. False hope. False refuge. And so in in verses 3 and 4, David reminds us who we are. And especially distinctly from everyone else. So in verse 3 he says, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all of my delight. The the sorrows of those who one after another God shall multiply. The drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their name on my lips. He's saying a few things here. He's saying, one, my, my, my delight must be in meeting with one another. Please, if you've got friends who have not gone back to in person church, challenge them. That's happening to Christians all around this country. They think that they're doing church by sitting in their living rooms. I'm not talking about people who can't physically make it to church. We're talking about people who are being called by the Holy Spirit to come gather and worship with one another and are choosing instead to stay in their living room and watch it on Zoom. You're going to face your adversary by yourself? Are you kidding me? There's no refuge in that. It is by coming together. We should delight in one another. You're my family. You're my family more than the one that I was born into. This is my true family. I need to be around you, take delight in you. We need to encourage one another. We need to be reminding one another where our refuge really is. Amen? We need to be in front of each other gathering. And we need to be doing that to live separate. Verse 4, he talks about being separate. Listen, I cannot look like non-believers. I think we blew it big time this last election. Because the whole world is fighting over left and right, and so are we. We did not look distinctly different. We look like our whole hope was within either presidential candidate we were in favor of. That's... He's saying, listen, no, you've got to be distinctly different. You've got to be stepping out there in refuge, knowing that you're being preserved no matter what's going on. Singing songs of Jesus, telling everybody, you don't care who the president is, because my king reigns. Because our refuge is not in the sticks and stones of this world, no matter how good it may seem. It is in God and God alone. We need to have those houses of brick while everybody has their houses of sticks and, and straw. So why? So that when the big bad wolves eventually blow their houses down, they can come run in and we'll have doors wide open for them. Amen? Come on in. 
We know the way of the brick, of a solid foundation, of truth, and of love, and of light, and of salvation, and of life, where no bad wolf can ever get to you. Amen? So he goes on, and the rest of the verse he talks about what it is it like to take refuge in God. What is it like to take refuge and, and have go to God for, for preservation? He says, The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. In verse 6 he goes on to say, And the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. He, he says that the Lord is his portion. The Lord is his cup. The Lord is his lot. The Lord is his inheritance. You've got to, again, think about who's talking here in this situation. This is King David. King David has, has righteous access to the promised land of God. This beautiful land that God has promised and has given over unto him that he can live in and enjoy and rule. And when he's penning this psalm, he's not living in the promised land. He is exiled out in the wilderness somewhere, running for his life because Saul is after him. And he's not complaining, listen, I don't have, I'm not living where I should. I, I don't have the, the land that I should. No, he's going, no, listen, I got something so much better than that. I got something so much better. I got God. I have God. We, we, we must be careful that we're not seeking Christ for the gifts of Christ, but we're seeking Christ for Christ. We get God. That's what we get. You know why heaven's going to be so wonderful? Because God is there. That's why it's going to be wonderful. We get God. We get counsel. Verse 7, he tells us, I, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. We get counsel from the Lord. See, this is where we've got to watch ourselves, Christians, because again, there's so many distractions. I mean, you could really, you could really turn in a whole day. You can just blow off a whole day doing not much of anything. I mean, with the, the amount of media and, and just all kinds of stuff coming at us on a constant basis, it is easy to be distracted. Especially when there's the big bad wolves circling outside, kicking up windstorms. I don't want to deal with that. But what he's saying is that, no, we've got, we got the Word of God that we can go to this, to not be distracted by all of these other things, but to go to the Word of God and get counsel, instruction. It talks about being, who hasn't, who hasn't had a sleepless night? We've all experienced sleepless nights. Our minds just don't turn off. And the anxiety and the worry and the fear, the rumbling of the big bad wolves out there, and the kicked up windstorms keeping us up at night. When there's nobody else, there's nobody to call. Everybody else is sleeping. It's just you. But it's not just you, is it? It is in those times, in the still of the night, when there's nothing else going on, in the quietness, that we can get up 
and commune with our Creator to experience His protection and His refuge and His counsel and His nearness. What an incredible thing. The rest of the psalm reminds us of what we're after. See, this isn't saying that we're not going to experience hardship and difficulty and tragedy. Amen? That's, that's going to come. We're going to experience those things. Well, what he's saying is that even in the midst of those things, he's going to protect our soul. He will not lose us in the midst of all the big bad wolves and everything they kick up at us. And he puts it like this in the very end of the, the last three verses of, of the 16th Psalm. He says, Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices, and my flesh, it also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, at your right hand are the pleasures forevermore. So, what he's saying is, we're people that should understand that it is well with our soul to have temporal suffering for eternal life. That we should not buy into the sales pitch. That we should be living our best lives now. We shouldn't be living our lives unto ourselves at all. It should be lived as a, as a living offering, a living sacrifice unto Jesus Christ. You use me and take me and do with me as you will. And if that means nothing but misery here, so be it. Because my eyes are not fixated here, because here is straw and sticks. It is the brick I'm after. The brick of my heavenly dwelling place with the God who I long to commune with. It is about eternal life. Everything we go through here is preparing us for that. So how can I know, how can we know that God is brick? Everything says that it's brick. But how do we know that God is actually going to be brick? How, it, how God is the one who actually preserves me and that I can take refuge in? Well, if you take a lot of the Psalms, we can turn the letters of a lot of the Psalms red. What do I mean by that? I mean that we could have read it like Jesus Christ penned it. First of all, Jesus Christ did pen all of it. The whole thing... Like, if I ever had a red-letter Bible, it'd be red letters from Genesis to Revelation. <laughs> because Jesus wrote all of it. But, but what I'm saying is, is, we can take the human author out of it and act as though Jesus Christ himself wrote Psalm 16. And it makes perfectly good sense. It actually makes more sense than having David wrote, having write this. We see this in, in, uh, in verse 10. It says, For ye... For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let the, your Holy One see corruption. Well, Peter, 
and Paul both in the book of Acts point out the fact that David did see corruption. Did he not? And that he died. And he got buried. And he stayed buried. So this this isn't about David. This is about Jesus Christ. This psalm is about Jesus Christ. This psalm is written by Jesus Christ. So, so let's not miss this. Don't miss this. This is incredible. Verse 3. Let's look, look at verse 3 as it was written by Jesus Christ. Put that in prayer. This is Jesus writing. The saying this. Picture Jesus saying this. As for the saints in the land... excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Church, you are Jesus Christ's. You are all of his delight. He delights in you. He loves you beyond our ability to even conceive how much he loves him. Turn off the news. Stop looking at the big bad wolves. Stop looking into this world. And lean into this truth. That that you are Jesus Christ. You're all of his delight. Amen? What can be against you? What can topple you down? If Jesus Christ takes all of his delight and puts it in you. And in verse 6 he says, The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. What is his inheritance? You! (laughs) The church! That's why he died! He turned himself over to the big bad wolves! The ones that you and I cannot defeat. The sin, the evil, the corruption. We're slave to it. Nothing we can do about it. He came and said, let me go in your place. And then he hung on the cross where we deserve to be. Why did he do that? To gain you. To delight in you. To buy you back. That you would be his. That you would delight in Him and go to Him for refuge and preservation and guidance and inheritance. That you would delight in Him and glorify in Him. That you would experience His love for you. And three days later, He rose victoriously. There is not a big, bad wolf that you will experience or face that isn't already defeated. Amen? This is good news, is it not? This is great news. Nothing can touch us. Nothing. And at times where I feel weak and discouraged and overcome, all I need to do is look at where I'm putting my refuge. 
Am I really proclaiming my true Christian inheritance in Christ Jesus? And those times I'm not. I have bought into some false idol, some false promise. I have looked into this world for my own comfort. All I need to do is look at the one who delights in me. Look at the one who died for me. And look at the one who rose again to defeat whatever it is I fear. And take my refuge in him. Amen? Heavenly Father, forgive us as we've wandered, if we've wandered and bought into world systems and ideologies, if we've bought into our own abilities and talents, God, if we have bought into even just our own, the lie of our own self-righteousness, God, I'm nothing. I, I was a slave to sin and I was bought back by you, not because I deserved it, because that's how much you loved. Let us move forward from here, Father God, renewed in that love, not just as a, a, a point of feeling good, but as a posture or a position that drives me. I mean, your love is powerful enough to formulate and drive every word I say, every action I take, every thought I think. It, it, should, it should change me over and over and over. If each day I would wake up and take refuge in you. We pray, praise your name for your love and for your might. And God, we pray for our enemies. We pray for those who do not recognize you as their king. Because as the psalm said, it's just going to get worse. It's just going to get worse. We thank you that this is as close to hell as we'll ever get as Christians. And we pray for those who do not know you, because this is as close to heaven as they'll ever get. So we pray for their souls as we continue to seek refuge in the one who delights over us, the one who has died for us, and the one who has defeated our enemy for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.